Hello, and welcome back to Headset, the Oberlin Theatre Department's podcast. Today is our last episode in the Theatre Focus mini-series. Last, but certainly not least, today we'll be focusing on sound design. And to speak with us today, we have Ava Simon, a student sound designer who has worked on numerous productions, both with the Oberlin Theatre Department and OSTA, which, for those of you who don't know, is the Oberlin Student Theatre Association. Welcome, Ava. We're so glad that you could join us today. Thank you. Hello. So how did you get interested in sound design? Yeah, I got into sound design in high school. I've been into computers for a while. Uh, I'm a computer science major here at Oberlin. And then my other big interest was in music. So come time when we were doing a show at my high school, I was like, yes, music, computers, put that together, sound design. And I was the only person who signed up to maybe do tech for sound on that musical. So I got the position and kept doing it for the next seven years. So when did the theater aspect pique your interest? Because most of the people that we have talked to who are in some aspect of tech start with acting or something like that. And, you know, with with an interest in music and computers, you could go into music production, something like that. Is there something about theater that specifically interests you? I think I really enjoyed the performance piece of that. That's a lot of what I got that tied in with the music. The music was all like, I played in orchestra, live orchestral music. So really the aspect of a live performance, pulling everything together, you've got one shot at it. I, I really enjoyed doing that. So that's why I ended up with theater over those other things that you listed. Do so you like high stakes? Yeah, it's as much as you can. I'm not like an adrenaline junkie, but... So have you designed sound for a lot of shows at Oberlin? Yeah. Um, I know you just did uh, Orlando. So I'm doing sound for Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder right now. But my big thing that I just came off of was Orlando, which is definitely the most complicated show I've done in terms of sound design at Oberlin. And before that, at Oberlin, I've mostly done more audio mixing, which can sort of end up being a separate field from sound design just because of who's around here. I often tend to do both, but Orlando is really the first show I've worked on where I've really gotten to focus on building soundscapes and worry less about mixing since we didn't do any mixing. I remember when we had talked to Zoe, she was saying that she was introducing a lot of music into Orlando that wasn't necessarily in the script. Were you part of the decision processes about what kinds of sounds were used for that? And what was that like for you? So I got into the production team after uh, she had already made the decision to have instruments and after she and Julian had done a lot of work picking out the songs that the actors were going to play live. But we had a lot of conversations about then what do we use to fill the gaps? How do the sound effects relate to what the actors are playing? How do we interpret between the stage directions the script had and how some of those might be taken over by the actors versus complemented by the actors playing music and things like that. So how do you think sound design and music are related? Because clearly sound design involves music, but also goes kind of beyond it. And then you're not exactly composing music or writing music and not all of sound is music, but clearly you have a big interest in that. So how do you think they relate to each other in your professional experience, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, at the barest bones, you're sort of creating a backing track. Like it's not in your traditional set. Sometimes it is. In my very early experience, my high school rarely had a live pit. So actually a lot of my work was pre-recorded 
backing tracks and transition music and things like that. And then beyond that, creating a soundscape, creating specific effects and blending them to sound natural, it's playing the instrument of Q-Lab. I guess you could describe it as. I, I had a lot of this in Orlando where there were a lot of one stage direction in the script was composed of eight to 10 different audio files that I was manipulating and looping and splitting and all having play relative to each other to make one consistent effect. And that's not terribly different from playing a chord in music. What does a normal process for you look like when you start a show and get invited to work on a show? What are the steps that you take and how do you go through deciding what stuff you're going to include in the show and just how does that look? Yeah, so a lot of the very early process is the same as a lot of the other design roles, set design, costume design, lighting design, where it's a number of reads through the script of increasing level of detail, taking notes, consulting with the director. If there are stage directions that mention sound effects, that's lovely. If there is other things in the script that hint towards it, then making decisions there. And eventually you'll end up with a cue list. You'll end up with a list of what sound effects need to go where, and context around them. And then from there, you start developing a process. You start developing a motif. So in Orlando, one of the big motifs that I played with was clock towers. Orlando does, the adaption that we worked with, does have some explicit stage directions for clock tower bells chiming the hour. So then you do some parsing of, well, is it the same clock tower? What does the chime sound like? Do I want your Big Ben chimes or do I want, what sound am I looking for? And then I go around, I source some, I play around with them, see how can I manipulate these to fit the different scenes. There's one scene that I need a second clock tower for. So what's what's the second effect that complements them? And you end up building a set of cues that tells the story. So clearly your job involves a lot of communication with the director and, you know, a fair amount of it is I need this clock tower noise or whatever it may be. And then you have to kind of source that noise and decide between them. And a lot of it is the director deciding based on their vision, but clearly you also have to have a very good sense of the script and what your vision of the storyline, the sound storyline is. So I guess my question is how much creative freedom do you think that you have with what the sound overall of a play ends up being. Do you wish that you had more? Do you feel that you're able to kind of insert when you think there might not be a particular stage direction for a sound, but you think there should be one? Do you often make suggestions about that? Yeah, a lot of it depends on the director and the rest of the production team on how much freedom I have. But in my more recent work, I've, I've had some really great relations with directors where they've given me a lot of creative freedom. And sometimes that's down to the script. So my favorite cue from Orlando, the script says, the faint sounds of the modern world. And that cue was the one that took the most time for me to put together. And that was a lot of back and forth with the director. I probably found about 15 different sounds that mixed into that and then went back and forth. I had some brainstorming with the director where she proposed some. I had other thoughts. We went back and forth. I did a mix. She had thoughts about timing. We did it in a run. In the end, I'm the one who pulls things together. So in my recent experience, at least, I get the final say, but I definitely 
in the function of a good production team will be going back and forth and consulting with everyone else regularly and getting their input, getting their thoughts, seeing how it blends with whatever they're all responsible for. Have you done any other design in the department? I know we took Jamie's lighting design class together. Orlando's my only show that I've actually done with the theater department, but I've done a lot of student art plays and musicals that I've done some lighting design for, did a poster once. You've done sound design for both musicals and plays, correct? Yeah. How do you feel that it changes between those two? Obviously there's the addition of music, but I know that you aren't always necessarily crafting those sounds. How is the process different? Yeah, so beyond musicals have the addition of microphones, which is a lot of work in itself, but that's almost a different discipline, mixing versus sound design. Uh, so focusing on the sound effects themselves, I feel like plays give me a lot more freedom to tell a story because I'm almost, a lot of what I'm doing in sound design is covered by the pit in a musical. In the musical that I'm working on right now, I think I have three sound cues. In Orlando, I had about 40. Because a lot of those, a lot of the setting the scene, covering transitions between acts, all of that is handled by a pit. In most cases, it varies by script really widely, of course. But in a lot of cases, at least, that leaves sound design for much more practical cases. But of course, then my time is consumed by mixing. So if we have people listening who are interested in sound design, do you have any advice for people who don't know how to get involved? If you're at Oberlin, there's always roles available. The student organizations always need people. The department, I'm sure, could use people. So, yeah, get involved. And I actually am very self-taught. We don't have classes teaching this at Oberlin. And I, I very much learned on the job. So you can pick it up. There, I'm sure there are people around. I, I'm one of them who can show people the ropes and try it out. Sound design is actually the only part of the theatre department that doesn't actually have a class. I suppose some of the stuff was covered by the Tamara department, but that's kind of a different avenue. And that's a conversation that I've had with Anton, the master electrician, and some other people in the department, because it's interesting because I'm also, I started out in sound design, and it's interesting to have all of the other departments represented except sound design. But then again, what is, lighting design has so much to teach, I just wonder what would be included in a sound design course even. You could do an equivalent of 184. You could do a course in sound design, the practicals. Here's speakers and here's what gain is. And here's how you do wiring. But in terms of the art and the design of it, I mean, I'm not great to speak on this because I don't have any formal education there. I'm just blundering my way through. I'm sure there's stuff to teach there, but I don't know what it is. Thank you so much, Ava, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. Ava's experience in the theatre world from high school onwards and everything that she's done is really impressive. And I'm very grateful for her taking the time to speak to us today. She's a friend of mine and I've had the pleasure of working with her in various settings outside of the theatre world. And I have heard her work and seen her work in the theater world. And she's just a lovely person. And I'm so glad that she joined us. Oh, absolutely. And a wonderful interviewee. I'm so glad we got to talk to her. So sound design is an incredibly interesting art. I know I've done a few sound design projects before and really enjoyed them. But I also know you're very interested in sound design. 
Yeah, I've done sound design since 10th grade. My high school musical every year I would sound design. I was the senior most like sound person at my high school starting in 10th grade. So I basically sound designed the entire musical and mixed it live, which honestly, I agree with Ava and her comment about sound mixing being a completely different thing. I honestly really enjoy the pressure of live sound mixing because you have a script and the way that I do it, I mark my script. I'm very meticulous about my script marking because I will print my script single-sided and then on the back page of the page before I will rule horizontal lines where a cue is and then I will put the line a certain distance out from the middle of the page depending on what kind of cue it is. I have a piece of paper in my script when I'm ruling my script that will have the folds of where everything should be so I'll put that in as my ruler. Doing origami with your sound design. Basically but yeah it's definitely a different art and it's a lot more intense. And there's also a lot of things that you can't plan for because you are going off of the actors and what they are doing on the night and all sorts of different things. I mean, I had an incident the year before I was in charge where one of the lead actors, Mike, stopped working midway through a scene. And so the orchestra conductor basically couldn't hear the lead character while he was singing and so I actually had to sing into the headset to keep the orchestra on time it was genuinely frightening and we fixed the microphone like straight away but in that moment I remember being like oh yay I'm gonna sing along with this song so that the music stays in time with the actor because the conductor couldn't hear so I've had a lot of instances where things have gone wrong and you have to go on the fly. I also had an instance where I pre-programmed all of the scenes into the digital console that we were using and I went to move from my pre-show scene during our preview show and the file had wiped so I had none of my channels pre-programmed. So what would happen is the desk would have, for every scene, it would have the character that was on that mic because the mics were moving between characters. So I had that already set up so that I just, I could see the names of the characters and I didn't have to look at what channel it was. I could just turn it on. And so that was something that was really helpful for me. And not having that was stressful but luckily I had the channel numbers written down in my script next to the characters names when it was turning on turning off that kind of stuff so it was okay and I managed to work the show but that was the show that I was planning to train the next person who was going to be doing sound and so I kind of just like panicked and was like hey this isn't the show that you're going to run I need you to move over and let me run it because right now I don't know what's happening and I can't be teaching you when I am not 100% confident. I was also only 16 at the time so not well knowledge enough to be able to teach through that kind of stress. So he ended up running the next show but it was just kind of like a moment of panic for me like oh my god what is happening? Why is my desk not working the way it's supposed to be? But yeah, it was it was a really stressful experience, but it was a learning experience and it, everything that I've done, I've learned from. And I think that's something that every aspect of theatre experiences. And it's just really interesting to see how we all learn from the various experiences that we have. And every time I do a show, it's a new experience and there are new things that I have to figure out how to do and new problems I have to overcome. And that's kind of what I love about the live aspect is that there are always problems to overcome and there's always a unique way to overcome those problems. 
it, I honestly can't say that I've done any sound mixing before, but it sounds incredibly difficult. Like it sounds like probably the most precise part of sound design from what I've observed. But what I enjoyed most when I did my sound design projects is kind of going through the struggle of going back and forth with the director where they say, I want this type of sound. And you find like five different audio clips and they're like, uh, I want it to be a little bit more dark or a little bit more ethereal or whatever they might say to you. And you have to go through the process all over again. I actually really loved trying to make those minute distinctions just to try to get the emotion of the moment completely accurate to the director's vision. Yeah. And I mean, we worked on Anna Aubrey's capstone together and that was a process that I had to do a lot with Anna was trying to find these sound effects that she wanted, but they weren't quite right. And I remember being on, because we were planning everything on Zoom because COVID, being on Zoom calls with her and Alex, who was the stage manager and Clara, who was the director and just giving them sound after sound after sound being like, is this what you want? Is this what you want? Is this what you want? And it was tedious, but I was really proud of the show that came out of that. One of the things that Ava was talking about that I thought was really interesting was music. She actually started talking about music with how she got into sound designing and then talked later about creating sort of a backing track with sound, like a soundscape, I think was the word that she used. How all of the sounds fit together, almost like I, I would think of it as sort of a sound script that happens throughout the production. And I think that that's kind of a beautiful idea that there is a backing track, not necessarily in the traditional sense that you would think of one like in a film where there's music, but in the sense that there's just constant sounds that you might not pay attention to, but that are very much influencing your experience. Yeah, definitely. My approach to tech in general is if you notice the tech, something's gone wrong. I don't know if I could relate to that because as a techie, whenever I watch a production, I focus on the tech a lot and how everything is being done. So it, it's definitely hard to get that distance. But I know what you're talking about where it should just be so seamless that it melts into the background. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea that I think she was going for there with creating a soundscape of the sounds are just helping to tell the story. They're not their own story, but they tell a similar story to the plot. I know that creating a soundscape can be a very challenging and time-consuming aspect. I know that I've had situations where I've tried my best to create a scene with just the sounds that helps to tell the story. That's one of the things that I like to try and do is kind of imagine that there's no actors on stage, that the costume doesn't exist, that kind of stuff, and just try to set the scene with the sounds that I'm playing. And obviously that's not actually the truth. Like the sound isn't the only thing creating the space, but that is kind of what I try to do with my sounds is make it so that if someone couldn't see the show, if they were just listening to it, they could still tell where the scenes were set, what was going on. Not necessarily with the plot details, but like if they're in a forest, there are forest sounds, so they know that they're in a forest. If they're by a river, there's trickling water, or they're in a bustling city, there's sounds that reflect that. So it's very much a slow process, but a very intentional process to create the sounds that are needed for that kind of endeavor. Well, Ava has certainly given us a lot to think about. Thank you very much to her for joining us on this episode of the podcast. It was very lovely having her. And thank you to you for joining us this time on Headset, the Oberlin Theatre Department's podcast, and we hope to see you next time. 